Hello and welcome to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, co-owner, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Quick start, had five episodes to launch the podcast and thescarletfaithful.com. And uh, just wanted to say thank you for the reception that everyone gave. Um, it's just been kind of overwhelming, just uh, both my uh, departure from On the Banks and my announcement of starting the Scarlet Faithful. Um, just thank you to everyone who's reached out or, uh, you know, liked a tweet or whatever um, or, or, or read anything at all. Um, still very, uh, um, you know, surreal to the fact that uh, things I put out there, you know, people read and uh, even like, so, uh, thank you so much for that. And, uh, really how this episode came about was I had someone scheduled for this, uh, this night, uh, former player and, uh, going to get them back on soon. Had to reschedule. Totally understandable. I think I realized that the summer, you know, is pretty unpredictable, uh, just with schedules and, and booking people. And I, I do have a few things, uh, pretty close, but, um, you know, I wanted to, to keep the momentum going. And, uh, also I had, uh, you know, always intended to have, uh, kind of like a week review, uh, that will start, uh, once the teams are in session, uh, late August, uh, where basically I review the week that was, I look at the week ahead for any team that's in season. I want to be able to give a weekly update. I just feel like it's, uh, you know, a great way to keep people updated, but also, you know, um, you can really consolidate a lot. And that's really what this episode's about too. It's just um, you know, there's a lot of interesting topics going on right now. Uh, here we are, you know, um, training camp for Rutgers football beginning on Wednesday. Um, you know, several other things in the news. Uh, Drew Singleton will talk about uh, women's soccer. Just came out number six in the coaches poll today. Um, some hoops recruiting talk. Uh, and um, you know, I did ask on Twitter. You know, for anyone that was interested, you know, give me topics or ideas and. Pretty much everything people submitted, um, you know, I definitely touch on here and uh, want to. So, you know, listen, I hope this is good. I hope people like it. <laughs> I'm just uh, going to kind of go off an outline and uh, give my thoughts and uh, we'll see how it goes. So um, anyway, we'll start with football um, starting, you know, Wednesday training camp. Players reported today on Tuesday, uh, recording this Tuesday night. And, um, you know. I think it's uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be, you know, a ton of uh, competition and battles, uh, you know, in training camp. Um, I like that they're ending, you know, they have two weeks out from the first game from when training camp ends. So I think, you know, the staff's goal is obviously going to be to have that too deep as solidified as possible at the end of training camp and be able to have those two weeks to really uh, work on stuff with those guys. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting, obviously, uh, quarterback is the the big one um you know listen i i love vedral as a as a person and uh as a leader uh and honestly i think that he is going to play an important role this year no matter what um uh whether that's actually on the field or uh you know on the sideline if he does end up losing his starting job no guarantee he will i think you know uh, he's the quarterback, you know, uh, Gav, uh, whoever does do it, um, obviously Gavin wins that is who we, you know, listen, let's be honest. We, you should hope that he comes in and dominates training camp and is the, clearly the number one quarterback. That would be by far the best thing that could happen. Uh, irregardless of, you know, any feelings towards Vagel, uh, I think he'd be extremely valuable as a mentor to Wimsat, regardless of what happens. Uh, so him on the sidelines and him, his ear, but you know, I mean, Wimsat's got to take it from him, and Vedral's not going to go down without a fight. And 
I do think that the most likely outcome uh, at a training camp is that there's going to be some type of platoon uh, or, uh, you know, I don't think there's going to be a clear cut number one. I hope that there will be. I hope that Wimzak comes out and just really shows tremendous growth from the spring and uh, makes it, you know, really a no brainer. Uh, the best thing for the, for the team uh, and for him, obviously. But, you know, it's it's going to be – I don't think it's a given that that's going to happen and not in any disrespectful way to him. I just think that uh, Vedral, you know, he's a fighter. And uh, I think he does bring certain qualities, you know, that, that are very desirable. And that I think they resonate with Shiano's kind of philosophy right now, which is, you know, uh, limit turnovers, uh, grind the ball, uh, grind out drives, and, uh, you know, hold up defensively. And I think that, um, you know, taking chances, I mean, when, when's it in there, you're going to, you're going to have to be less conservative. You're going to have to open it up a bit. And, uh, you know, are they willing to do that? I think, you know, you have to be, uh, and I think, but you know, it's the confidence in Wimza to be able to, to open it up and really let it go like that. So I think, you know, and I'm excited about the receiver core just to ramble a little bit, but you know, between, uh, Taj Harris, Sean, uh, Sean Ryan from West Virginia, Taj Harris from Syracuse, uh, both proven, experienced receivers. Both have made big plays in their career, uh, and I think they're going to be great additions. And then, you know, let's hope Aaron Crookshank, you know, can come back healthy. Um, it sounds like uh, Shiano was saying last week he's optimistic he'll be ready for week one. Um, he would be, you know, an integral part of this offense. Uh, and I thought he was really kind of coming into his own as a receiver right before he got injured last year uh, the first time. So, I think uh, you bring him back. I mean, Shameen Jones, you know, I, I would love to see development out of him. Uh, we've always we've waited, I think, for a couple of seasons now, thinking he was kind of going to step up and have a, have a big, uh, big season. And it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and uh, I, I really hope it does happen this year because uh, I think this receiving core is as good as they've had in a while. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, the quarterbacks can take advantage of that. And then it goes to the offensive line, which, you know, uh, certainly optimism with the transfers, but uh, I think, you know, and J.D. Dorenzo, I think yeah, hearing really good things about him, I think he's going to be a big addition. Um, you know, will Willie Tyler with, the, you know, Dunlap, I, who knows? I, we don't know. I mean, uh, do the coaches even know going into training camp? So, uh, you know, Holland Pierce, he's, I guess, coming off an injury, Shana was saying, but he should be, uh, I think, close to ready to go. So uh, I would love to, I, I'm really excited to see his development this year. I mean, what he did as a freshman, just, you know, pure raw talent size, you know, things you can't teach things that he inherently has, um, you know, it, it certainly sh should have a pretty high ceiling. Um, and I thought he got better as the year went on last year. So uh, I think this year could be, you know, a real, real uh, breakthrough year for him where he establishes himself as a legit big 10 lineman, because I think he is, I think he's one of the better, he could be one of the better ones. So, um, you know, it, it, I don't think we're really going to know what the offensive line is like really until I'd say, you know, probably by Nebraska. Uh, I think we'll know how they, you know, how they do against Iowa and Nebraska with Ohio State mixed in. I mean, that's that's pretty that's <laughs> it's pretty tough. So I, I want to see how the offensive line does in that three set uh, of games uh, before we know. I mean, listen, they could go out. Uh, it's funny how people say, oh, Boston College in the season opener, you're the returning or they're, they're replacing four offensive linemen and, you know, huge. Well, well, <laughs> it's true, but like Rutgers is the same, we're the same boat. You know, we, we have no idea what to expect on the offensive line. Uh, and then you have Reggie Sutton that the news is, you know, is probably not going to be back uh, at least for, you know, anytime soon. So 
uh, he, he was he was probably the most solid offensive lineman that Rutgers had the, the year and a half previous, you know, last season until he got hurt and the year before. So um, there's a lot of question marks on the offensive line, as there always are. I do think the good news is there's probably more options uh, at the coach's disposal. There's a little bit more talent, a little bit more depth. Um, but how much of that, you know, we, we don't know. Uh, and, and I hope for the best. Um but, you know, offensive line with Rutgers is one of those things you're, you're just every year, you know, you're ho hopeful it's going to come together. And unfortunately, it's been, been a long time since we've had a, a really uh, strong offensive line. But uh, I, I do think that they're getting closer to that. Running back, I think, is also honestly a crapshoot. Uh, Kyle guy. I mean, had, had moments last year. Aaron Young's had moments. Uh, Al Shady Salam, you know, he had that moment in the spring game. Uh, Samuel Brown, the four-star uh, running back coming in. Um, you know, I, th I think it's really anyone, anyone's game. I mean, in terms of that, we know that they're going to split carries no matter what, but um, can someone establish themselves? You know, it's worthy of getting 15 carries a game, which nowadays is, you know, a, a lot. And uh, I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if that happens or if it really is kind of, you know, pretty balanced uh, or, or maybe there's, you know, uh, touch and go. You're right. You're ride with a hot hand, so to speak. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Offensively, though, I think the potential to be better is, is certainly there. But also Rutgers was, you know, had a, had a pretty pretty bad offense last year. So I uh, <laughs> uh, have to go up from there. But how much of can they? Uh, and I think it's really, you know, I don't think there's any coincidence. I was thinking about it today in terms of, you know, the, the top three quarterbacks in program history statistically uh, really across the board from yards, touchdowns, um, is, uh, um, Mike Teal, uh, Gary Nova and Ryan Hart. And what do all three of those quarterbacks have in common? They were all the quarterbacks for the best Rutgers teams in the last 25, you know, 30 years. So, uh, obviously there's a correlation there. It's not really breaking news or anything like that, but I do find it, um, fascinating that it actually hundred percent true in terms of Rutgers recent history. Uh, and I think, you know, if Wimzak can become the guy this year, uh, obviously the ceiling goes up. So it's going to be interesting to see there. Defensively, I mean, the defensive line, you know, certainly has um, potential. Uh, I, I really like Aaron Lewis. Uh, I think he's been coming along uh, and really showed signs last year uh, in terms of being able to um, just develop and, and get better. Uh, you know, freshman, uh, true freshman, I don't know how much he'll play, but Kenny Fletcher from Delran, he – Definitely seems like he has uh, the potential to be a factor sooner rather than later. Um, you know, and uh, you have Keontae Hamilton, I think, really showed flashes, uh, you know, replacing Turner last year. Don't know how far, uh, you know, he's been along in terms of his development, but he certainly showed some raw talent last year. Uh, and I think uh, the defensive line, you know, also have, um, uh, besides uh, Aaron Lewis, you have a funny uh, Meha back, the transfer from Temple. I think he could be more of a factor. And then Mayan Hana, too, you know, who transferred from Minnesota. I thought he looked really good at times last year, too. So, obviously, defensive line is really all about depth as well. You, you have to have eight to ten reliable guys. I don't know if they have that. Um, but, you know, I think the front end talent-wise, um, I, th I think it's pretty solid. It's just a matter of having that, establishing that depth. Uh, and making sure people don't get hurt, which brings us to linebacker, which already, um, you know, I uh, don't want to say in shambles, but certainly not the way you want to start going into the season uh, in terms of who you have out. Uh, um, Motore, you know, already, uh, I believe, uh, if not out for the season, out for the majority. 
Uh, I honestly can't remember, but a significant injury, uh, as well as Moses Walker, the incoming four-star four freshman. Um, and then there's the news of Drew Singleton trying to come back, uh, ruled ineligible by the NCAA because uh, after last season, he did take money from an agent, um, which was to uh, basically um, work out and get ready for the NFL draft. Um, Rutgers was then uh, selected to replace Texas A&M on eight days notice from the Gator Bowl. Uh, and Singleton got the call and he decided to stop what he was doing and come play for Rutgers one last time, New Jersey guy. And uh, he ended up getting injured uh, in that game. Uh, nothing serious, but he was in, uh, I believe, a walking boot for a few weeks after that game uh, and basically sidetracked his NFL workout you know capability for preparing for potentially the combine and the nfl draft so um that was his appeal essentially to come back and um he was denied by the ncaa um i guess not surprisingly at this point and um he uh is now you know appealing that initial decision and uh it's getting a little more public uh credit on the banks uh my old haunting ground, uh, Jay Billis ended up retweeting their article about it, um, about the injustice of, you know, Singleton needing to be able to play. Uh, he did repay that money, by the way, uh, and he, you know, he never used it for any gain. It was simply to um, employ him to be able to, to work out for, you know, the NFL draft and prepare the next stage of his career. So um, obviously it's just uh, another perplexing decision by the NCAA over um, years of perplexing decisions and and if inefficiency and inability to make uh the right the right decision which is pretty uh pretty sad so anyway i tweeted today that you know i felt like the gator bowl president i saw an old quote from him and um saying that you know uh they were relieved when they got rutgers and uh, you know i mean let's be honest rutgers basically saved uh, the gator bulls hide um by being so willing to get there and make it happen and um you know needing all those sponsorships and everything like that i mean uh Rutgers came through for the Gator Bowl. And uh, again, uh, Drew Singleton played because of that rare opportunity. So um, I said today, you know, Gator Bowl president Greg McGarity, he said, we, we feel relief, absolutely, after Rutgers replaced Texas A&M on eight days notice. Well, I just feel like at this point, um, you know, the, the Gator Bowl officials, they need to go back for Singleton. They really do. They need to. Uh, and who knows what's going on, going on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, I sure hope Kevin Warren, the commissioner of Big Ten, is in uh, the NCAA's ear and trying to resolve this in a, in a positive way. Uh, you know, Singleton has been nothing but, you know, stand up. Michigan Rutgers, uh, I, I know he's well liked from his time at Michigan there, uh, even though maybe he didn't have the career he wanted to have there. Um, and he's been a stand up, you know, citizen at, at Rutgers. And, um, you know, he wants to continue grad school. And I just think uh, in the spirit of, the rule of what it was intended for and what it was actually the violation is, it simply is just, it doesn't make any sense uh, to hold that against Singleton, uh, especially in the unprecedented situation in which a team is invited to a bowl game eight days out after, I mean, they already had their team banquet. <laughs> the season was over. They were all had moved on. So to not take that into account just shows absolute stupidity uh, and, and just, um, Boris, just um, uh, arrogance and and stupidity, basically. So that's that's my rant on that. But uh, I really hope Drew Singleton gets a chance to uh, play again uh, for Rutgers. Uh, obviously, Rutgers could use another linebacker, but um, really just about for him 
uh, and his opportunity and, and what it could mean for him and his family. So uh, moving on to, uh, and there'll be plenty more football uh, articles, uh, coverage, um, you know, player interviews coming up uh, in terms of I'll have a preview podcast and everything like that. But this is just one of many topics that um, I, w- I wanted to talk about and people were also interested in me talking about. So I want to just uh, move on to uh, fall sports. Uh, women's soccer came in today. United Coaches preseason poll number six in the country, which, to be honest, did surprise me. Uh, you know, you're losing three All-Americans in Amira Ali, four-time All-American, um, most in program history. Uh, and then you have uh, Gabby Provenzano, who, you know, anchored that defense last year, was just such a tough player. Uh, and great player for Rutgers over the years. Uh, and then you have Frankie Tagliaferri, the Penn State transfer, uh, who had a, a tremendous season as well uh, and is uh, was a, a multi-All-American, multi-year All-American uh, in her career. So you lose those three, but, I mean, Coach Michael Neal and the staff have done a tremendous job. Uh, last two recruiting cycles, top 10 classes nationally. Um, I mean, the roster is still really, really good. Um, it's, it's amazing how many, um, just, uh, returning producers, contributors that they have this year that I really, you know, in, in not looking at the roster in a while, I, I kind of forgot how, how loaded this, uh, this team really is, um, in terms of, uh, all they have coming back. You have Megan McClelland, uh, you know, who just was tremendous last year in the NCAA tournament, uh, with those, uh, shootouts, um, and the way she performed. Um, but then you have a, a back line that is just, I mean, really talented um, with Emma Meisel and um, you have Emily Mason, who's just uh, having a huge summer with the under 23 national team. She really came on at the end of last year, two-time national player of the year in high school, uh, you know, was a little timid, didn't even start uh, at the beginning of the last year. And then really came on as the year went on that tackle she made uh, against Arkansas in the elite eight. Uh, on a breakaway it was just uh, elite stuff. And uh, she's, uh, I'm really excited to see how her role expands this year. Uh, and then you have, um, you know, uh, other uh, experienced people back there with her. You have uh, Adriana Gorilla, who's a, a grad student, but then Allison Lynch, who's, um, you know, been a staple in the back uh, for the last uh, three years. Uh, well, this will be her third year. Um, so along with Emma, uh, Meisel, they're just, uh, a lot of experience back. Uh, and then you have Cassidy Banks who had a great freshman year as well. So, um, that doesn't even include the freshmen they have coming in. Um, and then in the midfield, I mean, I think, uh, you know, they, they lost, uh, Tyler Ferry, of course, uh, you know, is, is a huge loss, but Kylie Daigley really looked good. Uh, and, and honestly, you know, kind of outperformed her in a couple games at the end of last season. Uh, and I think she's primed to take that that spot over uh, in terms of the midfield. You have Sarah Brocious back, who's a you know multi-year starter. Uh, so um, that brings you experience there. Sam Kroger can kind of play in the front, in the middle. Um, she's pretty experienced, more more so in the up front, I, I think this year uh, you could expect. Um, and then you have also uh, two graduate students that transferred in uh, in the midfield. Emily Smith. Uh, um, from, um, and Jessica Schildkraut, Schildkraut's from uh, Columbia, Emily Smith's from American, but they both have a lot of experience, both, um, you know, back from New Jersey. So, uh, th- those will be interesting. And then the front, you have, of course, Riley Tiernan, a star, a legitimate star, uh, who is obviously going to be the focal point of uh, opposing defenses, but, uh, she can be just, her potential is, is vast. 
Um, and, and then you have Allison Lowry in the middle up there. Uh, you have, you definitely have options um, in terms of what, uh, you know, you could do in, in scoring wise. I think, you know, it's going to be interesting who can kind of step up. Uh, you know, you have Tarnan who's going to need help, um, especially playing on the outside. Uh, you also have Gianna Romano and then um, Temple transfer Haley Gakowski. Uh, she's uh, had, had a pretty good career with Temple. So um, Tiernan certainly the uh, the lead up there, but they're going to need Lowry to have you know a lot of production um, and really all those uh, players be able to step up. So maybe is that the question of this team, the offense? I mean, I guess maybe we'll see. I think their defense is going to be lights out. Uh, so it's really going to come down to how good can the offense be. Uh, we're going to have uh, head coach Michael Neal on the podcast soon next week uh, to talk about that team. We're also going to have uh, men's soccer head coach Jim McKeldry uh, on the podcast next week as well. So I'm um, really excited to talk to him also. Uh, I think that program is is primed for a breakout year. Really veteran team returning there as well. Um, just, uh, you know, having uh, Jackson Temple back, who has, uh, you know, been their best scorer last couple of years. Pablo Avila is back. Uh, he's been around, uh, you know, a very long time. Oren Asher's back in goal. Thomas DeVizio is back. Um, Hugo Leganic, uh, and I, I know I botched his last name. Uh, you know, you have seniors that have been with this program now all through McKeldry um, and, and understand and can lead the way he wants them to. Uh, and then you have, you know, younger guys like Nico Rosamilia, uh, who had, a, a, you know, some moments last year, Matthew Casa, Ola Mayland, um, now a junior. Uh, so, you know, th there's there's a lot of contributors back for this team, um, and I just think they've been through the wars a little bit. They don't have, a, obviously, a ton of postseason experience, but I think they've been through the battles now in the Big Ten as a group uh, pretty pretty long now. Uh, I'd say three seasons for the most part. So I, I, I just feel like this is the year that they're going to break out. I really do. So uh, we'll talk to them next week. Uh, let's move on now to hoops. Um, some basketball uh men's basketball recruiting news uh of course we could start with what everyone is asking i did get a lot of questions about this um the report uh for the new york times which was uh, actually co co-written by adam zagoria who uh you know covers uh, new jersey basketball new jersey recruiting uh for the zags blog he writes for nj advanced media uh you know he, he definitely is uh on, on the pulse of recruiting in new jersey and um and the local area of course um but the report that, you know, uh, Rutgers is actually, uh, you know, in, in the recruiting game for uh, LeBron James Jr., Bronny James, uh, LeBron James' son. Uh, so that was, you know, kind of set. Uh, it's, if you're on Twitter on, I believe it was Saturday, uh, that certainly set off uh, um, responses a bit and people started freaking out. And, um, you know, of course, there's the haters that say, oh, what are you talking about? Rutgers, you know, this is Rutgers. There's no... No chance whatsoever that Bronny James is going to go to Rutgers. His dad won't let him, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, honestly, looking at it out of the box, um, you know, I think <laughs> I honestly think that Rutgers makes a lot of sense for a, a player like him. Not take his name away from it. You know, he's he's uh, his composite ranking is, you know, he's 43rd in the country, which, listen, is, he's top 50. I mean, he's a really good player. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the expectations that are going to go along with his name, you know, people thinking he can only go to a blue blood uh, like a Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke. I mean, Kansas, I, I just think he actually could be better served by not going to a powerhouse like that um, and being able to kind of, 
you know, get get his uh, get his bearings a little bit. I think his first season, he's going to adjust. I mean, he's gotten progressively better this last year, uh, and I think he's probably going to keep getting better for a while now. Uh, so I, I think he's going to need a year to really acclimate himself. And, you know, going to a Carolina or Duke or Kentucky, if you're out of the shuffle, it, it could wear on you psyche-wise. And um, I don't know. I don't know if that's best even for if you want to talk about his brand. Is that really – you know, does LeBron James want his son for his brand sitting on the bench uh, for, you know, Blue Blood? Or does he want him in the Big Ten or a top conference for a, a respectable, good team? Uh, also, hey, located, uh, you know, right in the capital of, of, of the world, media-wise, New York, um, and uh, a coach that's a proven player developer. So, you know, yes, may, maybe I'm uh, – you know, drinking the, the Kool-Aid right now in terms of, um, I'm, again, this is not to con confuse you with that. I think it will happen. Um, probably will not happen. There's certainly an argument uh, for it not to happen with the extra kind of uh, circus that comes along with having LeBron James' son on, in your program. Um, but I will say that I think if any coach is as equipped to be able to handle that, Steve Peichel is really good at that stuff. He really is good at managing uh, his players and kind of, um, you know, keeping them grounded. Uh, I really think he, that's one of the best things he does. Um, and uh, I, th I think he checks a lot of boxes. I think the biggest strike uh, against this happening, if anything, well, first of all, Brownie James might even not go to college. Um, but if he does, I think the biggest obstacle is that um, LeBron James is, is – deeply, deeply connected with Nike um, and Rutgers is an Adidas school and that matters. So I think uh, for me, while I was kind of sipping the Kool-Aid and getting really excited about the possibility, I think that's a deal breaker unless it changes. I mean, listen, and we, we know how unpredictable the world is right now. I mean, who knows uh, if Rutgers somehow switched to Nike, would I then think differently about the recruitment of Bronny James? I would. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons that make sense for the, for LeBron James's uh, son to come to Rutgers, whether they recognize or agree with that is another thing. Um, but I think, uh, the other thing is, you know, he comes to Rutgers and he becomes a star, uh, and he's taking Rutgers, you know, to historic, uh, you know, just achievements. I mean, that's, that's a huge brand builder, right? You go to a blue blood, if you fail, it's kind of a, a no win situation, if you go to a blue blood and you fail, well, you're a bust. And if you go to a blue blood and you win, well, he went, to, you know, he's playing with four other five stars and, you know, that's, it wasn't just him. You know, if he goes to Rutgers and, and let me also clarify that, you know, the, the, the thing that I cracked up about and tweeted about as being the most ridiculous thing is how people just were absolutely shocked that Rutgers was actually in the hunt for recruiting him. Uh, when they have a higher-rated player in the same class already verbally committed in Gavin Graf Griffiths, uh, who is ranked higher uh, and, and not, you know, considerably higher, about 10 spots. He's in the mid-30s. Bronny James is 43rd right now. So, um, but the point is, you know, I mean, Peichel is uh, the argument that he can't recruit, he can't recruit. I don't buy it. I understand the frustration of some fans that he hasn't recruited at a high enough level from a ranking standpoint. And I think that's honestly, probably uh, you can't argue that fact. That would be a fact, I think. Um, and, um, but I think what he's gotten out of 
uh, a lot of recruits that aren't highly ranked um, is is pretty remarkable and uh, has kind of been the um, guts of his success at Rutgers, I think, is finding the right guys, the right fit for his system that he can develop. And uh, he's he's proven it. And I know people say that's not sustainable um, or to, you know, elevate their position in the Big Ten. Um, you know, they have to recruit better. You know, it's I do find the ties to Iowa and Wisconsin fascinating. If you look at it from a recruiting standpoint, they're very similar. Uh, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin get a ton of three-star guys. I mean, look at uh, Keegan Murray and uh, Johnny Davis. Uh, we're both three-star recruits, you know, and both are, you know, lottery picks uh, after their sophomore year. So um, it's how programs can develop players. Those are, you know, those two programs have been winners in the Big Ten for a long time. Uh, and Rutgers, you know, listen, they've they've won at least 10 uh, conference games three years in a row. So uh, only six teams have done that uh, out of 14. So to say that, you know, it's hard to argue with the results, I guess is my point. And um, I really think the other factor is that people do not realize, and I know that people don't like to get their hopes up, uh, you know, and they've been disappointed in the past. And, you know, Rutgers even had three four-star guys uh, visit, uh, you know, in a, in a bunch um, earlier this year and, you know, didn't get any of them. So people are, you know, saying, Pico can't recruit, can't recruit, you know, they are right now in a position where they are extremely close to really breaking through. Really. I mean, it's, it's uh, with Gavin Griffiths and then you have uh, Papa Conte, you know, his close friend um, who is um, considering Rutgers. Uh, he visited uh, an official visit. Uh, he also uh, went to Michigan uh, to visit. Uh, he's visited a few schools um but it seems uh he's also uh you know maryland is is out there as well um but uh if they could land him uh he's a four-star recruit you know he's uh he's not he's right outside the top 100 uh he's top 13 center um you know he's 610 but he's he's just uh he'd be a tremendous rim defender a great rebounder i think he'd be you know just great for pickle system he can He's a good defender and he's a worker. And uh, you pair him with, with Griffiths, uh, two tight friends that could just take this program to another level, you know. And then you're talking about, you know, Bronnie James. I mean, <laughs> who knows? But I mean, uh, it's not like he'd become my, my whole long winded point. I think how this started was that um, Bronnie James, you know, uh, needs help and uh, wouldn't even be uh, the best player on Rutgers, probably if he came here. So I, I would love to have him, and I think he's going to be a great player, and I actually feel bad for him because the expectations and the pressure on him, completely unfair. Uh, and we saw it, you know, we've seen it happen to other players uh, of, of former greats. Uh, so, um, you know, hopefully uh, he's able to, to find a home wherever he goes, uh, and it's the best fit for him. And uh, who knows? Who knows? But um, in terms of, you know, the rest of 2000. Uh, or just the recruiting Papa Conte, if they could get him, um, you know, uh, it would be really uh, a huge boon uh, for the program. Uh, he should be announcing soon. Uh, and then, you know, it just is a matter of 2024 as well. Uh, of course, everyone's talking about uh, Dylan Harper uh, had a tremendous summer. 
uh, and I think he's going to be uh, just a great player as well. He could pretty much pick anywhere he wants to go now. He was just offered to, by Duke um, just a day ago. So, uh, you know, he's going to be able to go wherever he wants. I think Rutgers does have a, a good chance. Uh, I think they have, his, you know, Steve Peichel and the staff has as good of a relationship with the Harper family as you can have. Uh, and the way they developed Ron in his career, I think, um, you know, certainly puts him in a good position. But, uh, you know, I do think I worry about the kind of, you know, uh, get out and, and, and take advantage of a big opportunity. You know, his father, his, his brother, you know, did not get offers that he's getting. Um, and he has an opportunity to play. I mean, listen, you know, for, you know, a, a true blue blood. Uh, so it's going to be a fascinating recruiting uh, battle to see what happens. Uh, and, um, you know, it's obviously too early to tell, but I do think that, um, listen, if they got Conte, if they got, uh, Harper, you know, uh, just those two alone, the talent level that would have been, uh, you know, elevated on the roster, uh, would just be phenomenal. So, um, and of course, you know, they are talking to, uh, other guys that they, uh, liked this summer. Um, and you know, a couple of names are of course escaping me at the moment. Um, but, uh, they, uh, were all over the place, uh, and they were at the peach jam quite a bit. And I think, uh, that, you know, they, they certainly have their, uh, uh, Marco Jackson. He's one that they're, uh, really high on in terms of, a, a, a combo guard and, uh, Elijah Gertrude, a Hudson Catholic is a guy that they've been uh, recruiting a lot as well. So they're definitely looking for uh, a shooting guard, uh, to, to pair, uh, in the backcourt. Um, but we'll see what happens. I think uh, they're certainly making traction. And I think in the 23 class, you got to get one more four-star. I think if you do that, it sends a statement. Um, and I think that uh, things can only go up from there in 2024. You know, they're well-positioned, um, I think, to make a jump uh, e even more so. And if you get, you know, Dylan Harper's a top 20 kid. Uh, so that would just be uh, absolutely huge, of course, uh, for the recruiting. So, um, moving on from uh, basketball, uh, a couple more things. Excuse me, I had to take a sip of water. Uh, let's talk about uh, facilities. People were asking me about facilities. Um, I don't really have many updates right now um, in terms of other than we know that the budget was given, um, you know, from Governor Murphy um, to the athletics department, 100 million for uh, renovations to Jersey Mike's and uh, for the practice facility for football. Beyond that, we know baseball is getting new lights, um, a new scoreboard, softball is getting some upgrades as well. Um, but other than that, I really haven't heard anything. Um, you know, I think if you look at the programs right now, um, the five major programs that I could think of, and it's possible I forgot one, is field hockey, volleyball, baseball, softball, and track and field uh, do not have, you know, a, a home essentially like the other programs have now with the APC and the Rodkin Center. You have both uh, women's and men's uh, soccer and lacrosse at the Rodkin Center. You have at the APC uh, wrestling and gymnastics and both basketball teams. Um, so those meet, you know, uh, football obviously has the Hale Center. Um, but those five programs, including field hockey, which, you know, obviously won the, the, the first big, uh, big 10 tournament title for Rutgers uh, and has had great success under her head coach Mara Civico. Volleyball, I think, is probably uh, for head coach uh, Kristen Schweighoffer the hardest job in the Big Ten of any sport. I think Rutgers and volleyball uh, and the, the resources that they have, it's the hardest job in the Big Ten of any sport. I really think that. 
Uh, and um, anyway, aside from uh, from volleyball not having anything, baseball and softball, they're getting upgrades. They do have a you know indoor uh, batting cages and, and practice facility. Uh, you know, it's it's not a full facility like the APC. Um, so just in terms of locker rooms and all that, um, and having a housed building where you can really hang out, I think it's done wonders for the programs that have it. And I think it hurts the programs that don't have it. Uh, also includes softball and then track and field, which is steadily going up with uh, Bobby Farrell, uh, the head, um, and, you know, uh, just their performances last year, uh, breaking a ton of program records. Um, you had you had uh, uh, all Americans and Big Ten champions, and on Bridget was amazing. Um, Chloe Tenberg uh, was uh, had a tremendous freshman year. Alex Carlson was uh, a great freshman, a long distance runner. So um, you know I, that program's, and I've always said that program with New Jersey local talent, if they could keep local talent here, uh, Rutgers track and field, honestly, it could be the biggest powerhouse of any Rutgers team there is just based on track and field talent in this area. Uh, look at Sydney McLaughlin, you know, from, from nearby uh, Winter, Kentucky. Uh, you, you know, there, there's so much great talent in New Jersey in all the sports. Um, but track and field, I just think that program is uh, needs upgrades to help because I think, you know, they had a tremendous facility. It, it would be just – it would do wonders for, for recruiting. I really think so. Um, and then overall, you know, just in terms of the renovations, I, I did talk to Pat Hobbs and Steve Peichel and Greg Schiano. Um, in earlier episodes of this podcast uh, for launch week, um, you know, and, and not a lot of details about the new practice facility uh, in terms of, of design or anything like that or timeline. Um, and same with Jersey Mike's. Um, the one thing with Jersey Mike's, you know, that I think, you know, you want to do uh, renovations fine. I understand people complain about the bathrooms. I, you know, I don't know. For me, it never bothered me because I, I love going to Yankee Stadium and, and Fenway or old Yankee Stadium, excuse me, Fenway Park. Uh, dating myself there and uh, you know the bathrooms are tight they're small but you know it's it's kind of a part of the experience of just old ballpark and uh, you know it's just uh, it's real and um, anyway that's my rant on that but my biggest concern is um, you know the renovations I mean Rutgers feasibly will probably have to play somewhere else for a season uh, and that is certainly kind of a frightening thought um, and of course you know I think as recruiting is on the uptick, it, it would be hysterical, uh, plus ironic, plus uh, devastating if Rutgers ends up having like its most talented team ever, uh, or or since the '76 Final Four team, um, you know, uh, in two years if that's when it is, who knows? Um, and they have to play somewhere else. So that that's in the back of my mind as a uh, terrible scenario, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. And then last thing I just wanted to touch on uh, was NIL, obviously a lot in the news. Uh, Greg Schiano uh, basically making a public plea. We have four months uh, to raise money for players. They're going to start uh, leaving for other schools, getting poached. Um, you know, uh, you have uh, a lot of news with um, the Knights of the Raritan, the collective. Uh, they had a big event uh, last week, had uh, over 100 members there. They've uh, since Schiano made the plea. Uh, I know they've upped their membership considerably. Um, and, you know, their sole purpose is to, um, you know, benefit uh, current student athletes, uh, which is what, you know, the rule was was made to do. Uh, and then you have Geo Baker and Eric Legrand uh, from the Knight Society. Uh, they just announced uh, tonight that Caleb McConnell, they've signed him for the first time or, or the first student athlete they're announcing. They're signing 30 to start. Uh, they're announcing it soon. They just announced a deal with the author, uh, David Anderson, about um, funding uh, basically a thousand dollar 
I don't know if you call it scholarships or um, just benefits for, for uh, up and coming uh, players uh, get recommended by their coach. Um, you know, so they're, they're building a community. Uh, we had Gio on last week as well. He talked about it with NFTs and um, just in terms of membership, uh, you know, privileges and events and activities and ideas of connecting student athletes, um, you know, to fans directly. I, I think there's some similarities in the two uh, organizations, but, um, you know, I know that Geo doesn't consider Night Society a collective. They're also more of a marketplace as well, connecting local businesses. And um, I think it's a great idea. I think having both out there is, is awesome. Um, I think we need it. Uh, you know, Rutgers is never going to compete, I think, uh, in terms of financially with the, 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 not even the blue bloods, the, 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 the oil, uh, oil schools, we'll call it, uh, the Texas schools that just throw money. I mean, Texas tech just paid $25,000 to every women's basketball player on the roster. Uh, so, I mean, how do you compete with that? Um, but having both of those organizations out there, I think it's fantastic. Um, I think it's just anything we could do to unify the Rutgers community, uh, you know, all for, um, I think, I'm, you know, you have to be all for the student athletes. I know people, there's a lot of complaining and I wrote about it and uh, I don't know if people took it the wrong way or not. Uh, we don't have a comment section yet and that's coming by the way. Uh, so uh, that should be uh, in uh, available on the Scarlet Faithful uh, any day now. Um, and then um, just the fact that, uh, you know, people say it's ruining college sports. All that. Listen, it was always intended to benefit the student athlete. Uh, and it's doing that. And it's, um, you know, that's what it should be for. And yes, people are taking advantage of it. But, um, you know, as Graciano said on the podcast last week, you know, who cares? You can't worry about it. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's definitely an opportunity. And um, I think that, you know, Rutgers as a, as a whole, as a community, uh, you know, with those two, uh, the collective and Geo's and Night Society, I think um, are, are steps forward. Uh, you had uh, Devco actually announced that uh, Chris Palladino announced they signed an NIL deal, uh, NIL deal with Gavin Wimsat. Uh, this is a Tuesday night, so things are picking up, and I think it's a good thing uh, all around. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. Obviously, it needs some regulation as a whole, um, just for the schools that you know take advantage of it. But anyway, the really the last thing I wanted to say about it is as a, you know, uh, and and what I want to build here at the Scarlet Faithful is you know, a, a community that feels engaged and feels, you know, comfortable and uh, just, uh, it could be all opinions. Um, but at the same time, you know, like something I've seen with NIL that I really hope uh, people are more sensitive to is um, any type of, and I, and by, I first want to say, you know, this is not coming from uh, Knights of the Rare and it's not coming from Nice Society. This is just coming from fans um, that do care. So I, I want to phrase that also. Fans that care and are worried that Rutgers is going to fall behind uh, in the NIL war, so to speak, um, and are being vocal about, you know, other fans needing to pitch in. Um, and I think, you know, yes, of course, uh, the more that pitch in, the better, the more that each of us pitch in, the better. Um, but I think uh, what I worry about is that, you know, there's fans uh, that, you know, for whatever reason, they, they uh, for, for many reasons <laughs> in this day and age, uh, can't afford to do that. And um, I, what I, one of my goals, I guess, uh, at the Scarlet Faithful is to, you know, really want every fan welcomed. And I would hate for fans that, you know, aren't able to financially contribute, feel bad about it. 
you know, that, that just, we, we can't have that. And I worry that with some of the things I've seen on Twitter lately, that maybe that's going that way or has already happened. Um, and I really hope that it stops uh, because listen, I, <laughs> I live in North Jersey. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I work in the city. I commute to the city. I get taxed in New York and New Jersey, of course. Great. Uh, you know, we live in the, the most expensive part of the country. Uh, so, you know, you have to be sympathetic to anyone in, in, in any situation whatsoever. And I think we have to be careful from, you know, uh, soliciting or drumming up enthusiasm or encouragement um, and trying to build up numbers in terms of people donating uh, or, or contributing to NIL. Um, but at the same time, you know, those that can't, I mean, you're still supporting your school just by, you know, putting a red R on your car. You're supporting Rutgers, you know, wearing a sweatshirt. You know, you bought that sweatshirt. Go to a game. Take your family to a game, which, by the way, I saw those numbers with Major League Baseball last week. So depressing. You know, 200 plus to go to most Major League ballparks this year for a family of four. Uh, that's that's tough for people. And uh, sports should never be a, a, an inclusive uh, thing or a high class, you know, system in terms of who can go to it. And this is a whole nother rant with sports and, you know, concerts and uh, the Bruce Springsteen tickets, how expensive they are, you know, this class system of, you know, normal people can't go to go to things like that anymore. And uh, anyway, my whole ramble point of this is, is that as a Rutgers fan, you know, you are just as good of a fan as anybody else. If you can, if you can't contribute uh, right now or ever, uh, and um, I think that obviously those that can contribute, uh, you know, are, are, are essential um, and uh, we, we need as many people as possible. Um, but I think uh, there's pe ways people can contribute uh, in many ways outside of that that are positive. Um, and I just hope that as a fan base, we remember that we think about it. So anyway, um, I have no idea if you're going to like this. I hope you did. Uh, you know, definitely wanted to. Uh, cover a lot of things that have come up um, and hopefully uh, my take at least was of interest in somehow or some way. Uh, but thank you for listening. I'm badly in need of a sip of water, uh, but thank you for listening to episode six of the Scarlet Faithful. Appreciate everyone's kind words of late uh, and also for reading uh, the Scarlet Faithful. Uh, we are on Instagram now uh, uh, Scarlet Faithful and uh, Twitter is uh, my Twitter, Aaron underscore Brightman. Um, and then also, uh, we're on, uh, YouTube, uh, search my name on YouTube. The channel is there. We're on Apple podcasts as well. Uh, so if you could subscribe there and, uh, at any rate, uh, I think it's an exciting time. We're about a month away from, uh, fall being in full swing in terms of sports season. Uh, lots of, lots of great things to talk about in the coming days. Uh, and we will here at the Scarlet Faithful.